The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump's out of the hospital and back on Twitter. Fiscal stimulus talks are off. Fed Chair Jay Powell's worried. We've got the latest from Washington, D.C. on the stimulus front. Plus, meanwhile, now just a day away from the all important, perhaps the most important, vice presidential debate in recent history. I'm in Salt Lake City. We truly have a great great lineup today. Joe Crowley, Boyd Matheson with me all next hour. Congressman Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado. Uh, He, of course, is all wrapped up in the antitrust uh, big tech hearings. The Republican on that front, uh, sweeping antitrust reforms that their lawmakers are calling for, for big tech. He's joining us on this program. I'm incredibly grateful to Congressman Buck uh, for for making time for an interview for me today. Uh, And Taylor Riggs, my, she always trash talks me. Taylor Riggs on the terminal. She says I don't know how to use a terminal. I said, Riggs, I'm learning. Bloomberg Markets reporter coming up next. But first, Jordan Fabian, Bloomberg White House reporter. Jordan, so much to get through on the news flow front. Uh, fiscal stimulus. The president tweeting that a fiscal stimulus deal is off. That's the top of my radar today. No deal. No deal till after the election. What do we know? Did Republicans know this was coming? Kevin, I wouldn't say it's entirely surprising that there is not going to be a stimulus deal before the election. But what is surprising is the way in which the president tanked negotiations, basically putting the onus on himself, saying that he's ordering his negotiators to stop talking to Democrats and then announcing that while the markets were still open and we saw stocks just completely crash after he made that announcement. And uh, some of the Republicans I've been speaking to in the aftermath of this are wondering why he did that. Why did he do it? I mean, have you have you been able to to gather? I mean, because by all accounts, they were inching closer and closer to a deal, right? You've got Speaker Pelosi hovering at about two point six trillion dollars. Meanwhile, the Republicans are are inching closer. I'm sorry, two point two trillion dollars, and then you've got the Republicans going to one point six trillion dollars. Still, you know, less than a trillion away. I thought they were moving on the right trajectory. What happened? What I miss? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Kevin. You know, the, the talks seem to be picking up some momentum this past week, though I will point out that they were still pretty far apart on some of the specifics, like state and local aid and the like. But, you know, but the sources I'm talking to are still a bit confused about why the president did it in this way. Um, you know, maybe, you know, some speculating that you know, this is a guy who wrote The Art of the Deal, talking about how you don't want to be too desperate to make a deal, and perhaps that by walking away he's trying to get Pelosi to come down on her number. But um, other people saying, look, that you know, this is just kind of inexplicable behavior from the president and politically. Why foist the blame upon yourself and your own party for a stimulus deal that the Fed chair just said this morning really needs to happen in order to make the U.S. economy recover. And all this happening, I'll point out, just less than a month before the election. You know, you you brought up Fed chair Jay Powell. Let's take a listen to what Fed chair Jay Powell had to say uh, on the, the status of the economic recovery and the pace of the economic recovery. He made these remarks uh, at the NABE conference, uh, speaking virtually, the, Nat- the National Association for Business Economics uh, earlier today. Here is Fed chair Jay Powell. 
the expansion is still far from complete. At this early stage, I would argue that the risks of policy intervention are still asymmetric. Too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. By contrast, the risks of overdoing it seem, for now, to be smaller. Even if policy actions ultimately prove to be greater than needed, they will not go to waste. That was Fed Chair Jay Powell speaking earlier today at a virtual conference hosted by the National Association for Business and for Business Economics. You know, Jordan, I, I, I'm really struck by this because it, it would appear that this could have been a win that the president would need. I mean, there was political incentive there to get to a deal. And now, you know, I, I, how does how does how does he change the trajectory of this race when a CNN poll has him down 16 percentage points and a Wall Street Journal poll has him down double digits. He's down double digits according to a poll, uh, a, a mainstream poll in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. I mean, how does he change the trajectory of this race? Yeah, it's, it's hard to see how he does that. And he keeps to seem, seems to keep missing opportunities to turn things around. You know, earlier this week, just yesterday, when he left the hospital after being diagnosed with COVID-19, and some, of his, some of his political advisors were hoping that he would use that to, as an opportunity to you know, empathize with Americans who have been struggling with this virus. And, and instead, he kind of downplayed the virus once again and, and didn't really even acknowledge the fact that you said over 7 million Americans have been infected with this virus and many have had their lives destroyed. And, and then today, you, you have another opportunity for him maybe to revive his campaign by getting a stimulus deal, a bipartisan stimulus deal with Democrats that could really juice the U.S. economy. And again, he just blows up the negotiation. So uh, again, you know, the people I'm talking to are still trying to divine exactly what's going on here with the president. So let's let's talk about that because you, you've been doing excellent reporting with the team. Uh, a headline on the Bloomberg Terminal: "Quote: Trump's doctor has job of containing patient eager to campaign." Take us inside uh, in terms of here's the president. He's trailing in the polls. What does he need um, to? What does he? What is? What does he want to do? What is the strategy? What does he need to do? Take us inside the inner orbit because you've got a situation now where twenty plus members of the president's inner circle have the virus. Of course, and this really conflicts with what the president wants to be doing in the final weeks of the campaign. This is a president who's not a very good patient. He doesn't like hospitals. He doesn't like being uh, sick or around the sick. And so he's been eager to get back to normal, even though he's still, uh, you know, infected with the virus. You know, we were told earlier today that the president was interested in going back to the Oval Office, even though he really should be self-isolating until he recovers. And we also know that you know, the, the president is eager to get to the debate in, in Miami in, in 10 days, uh, but it's still not clear if he's going to be recovered by then. So we're, you know, we're talking about a, a president who wants to get back at it, but everything we know about this virus says that you really need to self-isolate and, and stay home until you recover so you don't infect others or perhaps worsen your own condition. And this is going to be the challenge for the White House Medical Unit and specifically Dr. Sean Conley, his physician, in the days and weeks ahead. And we should note, I mean, Dr. Conley released another statement today, very brief, couple sentences, said that he got a good night's rest, that he's uh, reporting no symptoms, that he's that he's reportedly doing better. Jordan Fabian's with us. He's a Bloomberg White House reporter. Jordan, you know, you're one of the best in the biz. I mean, you're, I'm not asking you to give up your sources, but just give us the mood. Give us the, 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 the state of play, so to speak, the vibe in, in, inside, not just 1,600 people. Pennsylvania Avenue. But as you go through your reporter's notebook, as you go through your notes on your phone and, and, and whatnot, take, are, are, is it palpable, the level of angst? I mean, out here in Salt Lake City, where I am for the VP debate tomorrow, we'll talk about that coming up. I mean, it's palpable, the level of angst. People are wearing their masks a little bit on edge because it's, it's at a staffer level. It's not a political thing anymore. You know, it's, 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 it's penetrated inside of the industry. You know, forget the the two parties. It's penetrated inside of the political bubble, the bubble that we're all in. What's the vibe like when you talk to people, Jordan? Yeah, Kevin, if you listen to their public statements, they're trying to project this 
air of confidence. But yeah, it, like you said, there is a level, there is a level of just uncertainty and fear and anger about the situation among some of the, especially some of the mid-level and junior level staff at the White House. It just you know, people wondering if they're going to, if they've been exposed and if they're going to get infected in the next few days, because there have been multiple points over the past week where maybe this, this virus originated. We're talking about the Saturday event in the Rose Garden for Amy Coney Barrett last weekend, uh, the, the trips this week to the debate into Minnesota. And so th- there's just a lot of fear. You know, you see uh, staffers now wearing masks, the ones who are still there at least, where that wasn't really the case in the past. And so um, while the president might not be taking the virus seriously, it does seem that at least some of the staff, this was maybe a wake-up call for them. You know, and I, and I keep going back to this notion of comparing politics to, to almost a business office. Uh, any any politician, whether they're a House member or they're, you know, a cabinet secretary, you know, they really are the CEOs, so to speak, of their respective office, of their business, and, and they've got employees that work for them. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating dynamic when you've got the shared office space, the shared office space of these public institutions, whether it's Capitol Hill or whether it's uh, the White House. Jordan, tell me one thing I don't know. What's one thing on your radar uh, that, that happened today that we should know about? We got 30 seconds left. Wow, that's a, that's a tough question, Kevin. <laughs> it seems like everything's been out there. Uh, it seems like the Atlanta Braves have taken the lead in the, uh, the playoff game that's on right now. <laughs> Good for you, Jordan. Good for you, my friend. Jordan Fabian, Bloomberg White House reporter. I mean, hey, maybe it's not the outcome we want, but at least you're getting to watch a ball game. Coming up, we check in with Taylor Riggs, Bloomberg Markets reporter. What happened in the markets today? Well, stocks fell. And, well, the president is... No, no more stimulus. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. So much policy news to get through and so little time. President Trump telling his team to stop stimulus talks, spurning a plea from Fed Chair Jay Powell. That's the big story today, folks. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. President Trump tweeting, tweeting earlier today, quote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election when, immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small businesses, end quote from the tweet. Now, the, pre- the stocks tumbled after President Trump tweeted that, uh, and, and this really had called an end to months, months, really months of hard-fought negotiations between uh, Secretary Mnuchin, the Treasury's office, Mark Meadows, the President's Chief of Staff, and, of course, Congress. The goalposts, $2.2 trillion for the left uh, on the Democratic side, $1.6 trillion on the right for the Republicans. S&P 500 down about 0.8% uh, on, on the news of that, and stocks overall closing down. U.S. stocks tumbled and bonds soared after President Trump said he is ending the stimulus talk. The S&P 500 slumped 1.4% after Trump tweeted his comments late in the trading session, erasing a gain of as much as 0.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and NASDAQ Composite Index is also turned negative. Taylor Riggs is on. She, of course, is my colleague here at Bloomberg. Uh, she is a Bloomberg Markets reporter. Taylor, what happened in the markets today? 
Well, you know, I'm only allowed on your program when the S&P falls more than 1%, so I don't know if that says <laughs> enough about me or about you, but, you know. Wow. But, but, see what she did there? It's she's The first words out of her mouth, she takes a jab at Kev. What did I do, oh, Taylor? What did I know, do, Tay? You know I love you, but what I can tell yeah. you is the stock markets are not loving this news. And I think you're right to really talk about the big change that we've seen right after that tweet. Kevin, what is so interesting to me is through all of the conversation we've been having today throughout the market close and really leading up to this, we kept asking participants, is stimulus priced into the markets? And a lot of them said no. The minute you get stimulus, you're going to get a big bump up in stocks. I think the market reaction today showed that markets were getting a little complacent, and indeed some of this stimulus was priced in because the minute you took it away, you did see that big drop down in equity prices. Now, I want to caution, it is the knee-jerk reaction. Let's wait to see what happens tomorrow and in the coming days. But certainly today, this was a big move down for the equity markets. And you also mentioned bonds earlier. And Kevin, I'll just uh, leave it here with you that the bond markets were where all the moves were. Yesterday, you had a big reflation trade, which was yields were higher, bond prices lower. And today, all of that reversed. You had the 10 and the 30 are falling about five basis points are still on the day. So really risk assets were selling off and really all going back into the full faith and credit and the safe haven that is uh, the treasury market. It's, it's remarkable. So we got this major development and some market moving development in terms of no fiscal stimulus deal between now and the election. I said this to Tom Keen Taylor earlier today. I said, it's a matter of when the stimulus comes. It still is. Even right there, President Trump said after the election, there will be stimulus. Should he lose, there will still be stimulus in the lame duck uh, or in the first quarter of next calendar year uh, with uh, Democrats taking over. They've they've already suggested they want, to, they want to have more spending. So that's what's happening on the stimulus front where there's an incredible amount of, uh, I guess now, some certainty in terms of the timeline. But then we got the virus. Mm-hmm. Because the virus, the, is that contributing to any of the anxiety on, uh, on yeah. Wall Street? With, because New York City's seven-day average of the daily cases is approaching Mayor de Blasio's warning threshold of 550. And France, the country's statistics agency, downgraded its growth forecast to zero. I mean, it, it, New York City now, with this uptick, what, how are investors reacting? Yeah, I think that is a very good point. Everything we've talked about, the risks, the biggest questions that clients are asking right now, is it the election? Is it stimulus? Is it the virus? And frankly, they've all said all three, but mostly the election. And I think, though, the election, to your point, Kevin, really ties in everything about the the virus to some extent, a vaccine to some extent, and then, of course, where we are on stimulus. All I will note is that the options market, which tracks the quote, fear gauge or the volatility of the equity markets, the spot, which is today's price has moved up, but you're also seeing rising out futures within the VIX markets on October, November, and December markets. So investors are looking at volatility even into January at this point. And I think that speaks to the point where it is not just about not getting stimulus today. It is not about an election in November, that this could go through January. And that's really where that virus conversation comes in and um if some of these hot spots and in, 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 i think do pr- present a problem um i i i think the markets are liking a more targeted approach that you'd mentioned cuomo trying to do a piecemeal approach versus just reshutting down everything which i don't think the markets want to see um but certainly i think a lack of clarity on the direction of this virus and Frankly, until we get a vaccine, I think these belts of volatility are going to come more and more frequently. And I the think that's interesting. Within the VIX, certainly um, pricing that out. I think Taylor just you, you hit on something really, really important. It's that the markets like to see a more piecemeal approach instead of just a, a, a rapid or a rampant rather blanket shutdown. Let me ask you about this. I mean, so I think it was J.P. Morgan and even I think City and maybe Deutsche have put out notes uh, or some of their analysts did over the last 24 hours as we get these new political polls that show double-digit leads for mm-hmm. for Joe Biden, and it, it looks like almost at the the surrounding the mail-in uh, ballot issue might not be as prolonged right. as some of these folks had hoped. How's that playing in? I mean, the expectation was, oh, you're going to have to change the Constitution. And now they're, they're sort of backing off. Some analysts are backing off. What do we know about that? 
So, Kevin, markets like certainty. So to the extent that there is certainty around, whether it be a red sweep or a blue sweep, and I think the analysts, the three notes that I read that you read were looking at some of the polling and saying, well, if there is a, a blue sweep, so let's go with that for the purpose of this conversation. The point is, is there is at least certainty around that. So less of a contested election. And then, of course, with the blue sweep, what do you get? Perhaps maybe higher taxes, which you would think that markets don't like. But if you get more fiscal stimulus, that is that classic reflationary trade, that is the higher yield, the more spending. You think that if there's more stimulus down into some of the businesses like the airlines, for example, maybe further small business, maybe further unemployment benefit checks that go out, that certainly then can be a positive for the market. So I think it's And I got to I got to simplify that cuz that's so smart. Bold it, underline it, tweet it, highlight <laughs> it, whatever you have to do. The markets are interpreting now that in addition to higher taxes, what Democrats would also provide is more fiscal stimulus relief. Higher taxes, but more relief. And they're essentially saying that could be a wash-off. That's according yep. to some analysts on Wall Street. Go ahead, Taylor. And UBS, no, just the latest yeah. to, to say, given those two opinions, that is market neutral. So it's certainly not a market negative, which was earlier what we were hearing just about higher taxes and the negative implications for the market. UBS saying market neutral now, given at least then you have some cohesiveness uh, with the realm planning for, for the stimulus and, and what to expect. Genius. Taylor Riggs. I didn't write it. UBS wrote it. So call them yeah, if you want you know, to know. But you explained but... <laughs> it, right? You, you explained it. Uh, in a minute left, uh, what else is going on, Taylor? I feel like, yeah, you know, how's, how's New York? <laughs> You know, it's it's okay. You know, I'm here in the office, um, but I'll just leave you with, with one more note on the market as we all wake up to tomorrow. Um, take a look at the dollar and gold as well, because you're seeing some finally some strength in dollar, which is classic safe haven trade. Gold, though, continuing to sell off about 2%. So you, I am wondering if you're seeing a, a sell everything, go to cash, go to dollar, buy treasuries, uh, gold continuing to sell off. So just some food for thought as we think about the reopening trade tomorrow morning. Taylor Riggs, thank you so much. Bloomberg Markets reporter, always appreciate the time very much. Coming up, it's politics. We're going head first into it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Fiscal stimulus is dead until after the election. President Trump tweets, markets react. Full fallout on the policy front. Plus, now just a day away from the vice presidential debate. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, ahead of that debate. We've got the full preview on that front. And big story, President Trump telling his team to stop the stimulus talks. President Trump told his negotiators to stop talks with Democratic leaders on a fiscal stimulus package. This just hours, hours after Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell's strongest call yet for greater spending to shore up the economic 
recovery. So he tweeted earlier this afternoon, quote, President Trump did, quote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election when immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small businesses, end quote. Stocks tumbled after that, uh, and Democrats had most recently been pushing for a $2.2 trillion package. Republicans had upped it to $1.6 trillion. Regardless, regardless, it, uh, it, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen now until after the election. I want to play for you what Fed Chair Jay Powell had to say at the NABE conference, virtually, of course, the National Association for Business Economics, just about the pace of the recovery. Here's Fed Chair Jay Powell. The expansion is still far from complete. At this early stage, I would argue that the risks of policy intervention are still asymmetric. Too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. By contrast, the risks of overdoing it seem, for now, to be smaller. Even if policy actions ultimately prove to be greater than needed, they will not go to waste. He went on to say, quote, too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. I'm out here in Salt Lake City for the week because tomorrow we're, we're, we're covering the uh, vice presidential debate. No doubt this is going to come up. We have a whole preview of that coming up. But here, even in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, businesses socially distant, a lot of economic strife, just like Washington, D.C., uh, and let's bring in the panel. Joe Crowley's with us. He's the former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, and, the, and an opinion editor at the Deseret News, which I got a copy of today, Boyd. You know, I, I'll start with you, Boyd, just because I'm in your neck of the woods, uh, to quote the, the good old Al Roker. I'm in your neck of the woods. Um, Boyd, I don't see how this helps Republicans. What's the play here? I, I do not see the the political implication of no deal before election day. I don't see it, Boyd. Yeah, I uh, and I have to agree with you on that. And you should have come over. We could have socially distanced in the boardroom here. Uh, so I'm a little offended that way. But uh, well, we're uh, here all week, we'll so we'll I'll, I'll text you after the show. And I need a good place to eat. But we have a whole hour to get around. All right, to it. go ahead. Uh, I, I will take. I'll take care of you on that front for sure. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, this is, this does not help. It this does not help Republicans in any way, shape, or form. I I can't figure out the the strategy behind this either, um, uh, unless it's some uh, stretch of a way to try to make sure that people show up and vote to ensure there's a Republican Congress coming in. Uh, I've been predicting all along that nothing was going to happen. Uh, we saw that, of course, uh, even just getting the stopgap measure, the continuing resolution uh, until December. Uh, none of those are, are functioning from a position of strength. Uh, you would have thought that the negotiation strategy would have been much more focused on how do we keep things going in terms of trying to get the rebound rebounding uh and that's ultimately the test and here's the thing i don't understand is the you know the real leadership space for the president to play is to say yeah we 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 hit bottom in the midst of a pandemic but the test is you know not how high you soar but how high you bounce when you hit bottom we've hit it and we're moving but this is more like a splat um so i just i just don't understand what the play is uh and how this could be helpful to not just to the Republicans, let's be really honest and, and really clear. Uh, this does not help the American people, uh, yeah. which is what this is really supposed to be about. Boy, I mean, that was just so well said. And, and, and truly, I mean, you look at any poll right now, I, I don't see, you know, and, and yeah, I, I, I love taking off my political hat for a second, but you look at it less than a, a month, really, to the day of the presidential election. I don't see how not getting a deal is advantageous to a president who is lagging in the polls. Joe Crowley, come in here because in your city, New York City, there's now an uptick in cases. Markets on edge about the lack of fiscal relief coming before the election. Markets on edge about a possible uptick in coronavirus, not just in New York City, but in other key parts across the country. I'm, I'm, I mean, American families on edge for a lack of economic relief. This just doesn't make sense to me, Joe. There is no daylight between Boyd and I on this particular issue. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> uh, we, we, we're going to agree 100% here. I think uh, that, had, and, I, and I, like Boyd, uh, would have predicted that they, not, they would have not reached a deal, um, that there would be some acrimony uh, about that. And the attempt to have the Senate and the president blame 
uh, Pelosi and Democrats from being intransigent and not moving at all, so to speak. You know, the last was that uh, Mnuchin had made an offer and, and, and Pelosi had rejected it. Um, you know, that the fact that Mnuchin and Pelosi were still talking, that the president now weighs in and says, I'm pulling back, no, no more negotiation until after the election. He owns it entirely. And um, as, as Boyd had said, it's not only in terms of the political of, of disaster here for Republicans, uh, if this uh, holds true. But let's take for a point, if the president decides now because of this uh, to come back to the table uh, before the election, because he's going to hear a lot from Senator Mike Lee and, and others out there uh, who are really concerned about uh, lack of stimulus right now, he has weakened his hand coming back to the table. And if this notion is that we're going to wait until after the election, you know, and when I'm president again, I'll get a better deal. But if I don't win, what does that mean? Is this like an extortion? Like, you know, either, either you reelect me president or else, you know, type of thing. I just don't think that's going to work here. So I think someone better check those meds he's been getting, those steroids. They may be kicking on already because he is not thinking clearly, certainly from a, st- a strategic point of view as a businessman. He's made a major blunder here, in my opinion. Well, stocks were down today. Let's just go macro or let's just zoom out for a second in terms of getting the perspective from Wall Street here, because uh, it's there's some two major key market developments, I would argue, uh, as we as we enter into the midweek. The first is obviously some jitters pertaining to no fiscal stimulus coming before the election. But the second and this is where it gets more nuanced. If you read some of the analyst reports that came out earlier today from J.P. Morgan, uh, from Citi, from Deutsche Bank and other. They are now suggesting that even if there is a Democratic sweep or even if Joe Biden becomes president, that it would be a market neutral event, that the increase in taxes, which, yes, there likely would there would. I mean, Joe Biden has said he's going to raise taxes, even the corporate tax rate increasing from 21 percent to 28 percent. That increase in taxes would be uh, uh, neutralized by more fiscal stimulus relief. I'm thinking of infrastructure. I'm thinking of additional fiscal support. So. Now the conversation, which once last week was, you know, up until last week, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of volatility with the mail-in ballots. Maybe we're even pushing it to January. Now it's becoming a much more market-neutral event. Fascinating how quickly that shifted. Much more coming up with the panel, all-star panel today. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I was at Ruth's Diner today in Salt Lake City. Had a great omelet and biscuits and jam. This is Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm out in Salt Lake City, Utah today. Boyd Matheson's neck of the woods. Boyd, have you ever been to Ruth's Diner? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a must. It, is it a must? Because I must. And let me tell you, I, I, I hear she's like an icon of uh of salt lake i was reading up on her i mean she's got this diner decades old she had a she had a bit of it uh she she kind of sounds like my my late great italian grandmother mama Melda back in delco uh but but just had that that uh uh, uh what's the what's the word i can say uh gravitas <laughs> for yes. lack of a better word but give us a okay where's a good place what is, are, are you guys know tom keen was telling me utah's known for its elk chili i didn't know this i thought they were known for the utah jazz go ahead yeah i'd, I'd stick with the utah jazz myself but uh I, there are a lot of hunters out here a lot of great hunting out here uh so i but i am not the expert in that i can i can give you a whole lot of down low on the uh, jazz if you want that breakdown i can okay i can give you that for sure but no <laughs> restaurants okay well because i'm I'm okay always all right good to know and uh joe crowley's with us former new york congressman and of course the former chairman of the democratic caucus uh we're gonna remember then uh the the, the late great musician who passed away today i promise you joe crowley huh. I, it's Thank just you. really yeah but let's do the preview of the vice presidential debate because that's why i'm out here and the, the fiscal stimulus lack there of support that's not coming as the president nicks the talks for, for the fiscal stimulus, that's going to be front and center. Not to mention, here's Mike Pence. Vice President Pence is, of course, the leader of the president's coronavirus task force up against Senator Kamala Harris, uh, who in many ways is the future of the Democratic Party. Um, and, and Mike Pence, we should note, is often talked about having presidential ambitions as well. Uh, so... From your perspective, uh, Joe, 
just set the stage. Has there ever been a, a, a vice presidential debate more important? Both of the leaders at the top of the ticket are uh, 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 in their 70s. Both uh, have been, uh, you know, you've got one who is recovering from COVID-19, another who uh, the health has been an issue in terms of the conversation pertaining to the campaign. I mean, has put it in perspective for us. Well, I think a lot of eyeballs certainly will be on uh, watching from both parties uh, tomorrow's uh, debate, looking at, you know, really potentially two presidential candidates in the future. Um, you know, say that what you may about either one of them, uh, and I'm sure they have critics from both uh, their respective parties, but they are going to be front runners uh, in four years, uh, whether the president's reelected uh, in, in, in that circumstance. Um, but certainly Kamala Harris is going to be someone that people are going to be looking for uh, in the future as well. Uh, so I, I think really people, you know, if you're, if you're Mike Pence, you've got to be scratching your head today. You know, the president was really setting this whole campaign up, playing on, you know, really planning on banking on good economic news before the election. And, and now there's this, you have COVID is still running rampant. But what's the message? You know, Pence is going to be on the debate stage tomorrow night. And what, what is he running on? What are they running on? And I, I really think there's going to be great confusion there. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, for, for, for Harris, just to stay the course, former prosecutor, I think they're both good on their feet. I, think, I know Mike uh, Pence from my days in the House. I got along very well with him. Um, you know, I didn't agree with him about just about anything, but uh, he's a decent person. Uh, I, I think uh, that uh, Kamala Harris, and he, it's going to be interesting to watch tomorrow night. Boyd, I mean, what what is the point? I mean, that's a really good point. I think is this typically your strategy for a VP debate would be do no harm and just kind of keep your head down, grind it out, get in, get out, don't make a major gaffe, and don't be the story. But now, I mean, with this race just feeling so tilted, uh, you know what what it, what this is a very important VP debate for for Mike Pence. It's an opportunity yeah. to change the dynamics of the race for Senator Harris. It's in many ways another introduction to the country. Yeah, that's right. And I think the uh, I, one we could build this debate as preview of coming attraction to Joe's, yeah. Joe's point. Uh, we're we're going to see this in 2024. No question about it. Uh, they will be the front runners rolling in, regardless of what happens on the first Tuesday of November this year. Uh, I think that I think is a really important, subtle uh, element to this. Uh, normally, you would do as as you rightly said, do no harm. Uh, but I think this year it's more of you've got to do something right. Because the the audience that this is really for are those people who are either in the undecided category. We know that's very small. It's only probably 5 to 8% of the electorate. But there's also this group uh, that I like to call the movable middle. Uh, and these are people who may not even vote. Uh, they are yep. people who are, they're not in, they're not independent. These are either center left or center right folks, registered Democrats or Republicans. Uh, but they've disconnected because they're exhausted. Uh, by all of the, the vitriol from both ends of the political scale. And that's who Kamala Harris and Mike Pence got to speak to tomorrow. And mm. to do that, they've got to talk about things like community. They've got to talk about upward mobility and opportunity, uh, self-reliance, those kinds of issues. And so I think this is a critical debate for both of them, not only in terms of this race, but obviously looking forward to 2024. But I think they can do significant help to their respective top of the ticket. Mike Pence can say, hey, we've got a policy agenda. We've, you know, we're taking action in this space that is going to work in terms of a rebound. Uh, Kamala Harris is an reintroduction uh, to a lot of those folks. But she also has to show not only am I a prosecutor and I'm going to get these issues right, uh, but I'm doing it for you. And this is what it's going to mean to your community, to your family. Uh, and so I think the stakes are incredibly high. Uh, I think there is a good chance we we may actually hear some policy discussions <laughs> tomorrow, uh, which would be radical for debates in uh, this era that we live in. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's critically important the undecideds and the movable middle could ultimately decide the race in the end. It's yeah. I think I think for me, I'm going to be watching for three things. First and foremost. Uh, the, the, the heartbeat away from the presidency test. How does uh, Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Harris, how do they clear that hurdle? That, of course, is the most important hurdle. And health is now front and center, at, again, at the top of the ticket. So it's an, an incredibly important important hurdle to clear. Secondly, I totally agree. It's a, it's a foreshadowing, potentially, of, of two individuals who will, without question, at one point, 
be rumored to be running for president of their own? Uh, do they do any long standing harm to their political careers uh, with with any type of major loss or gaffe uh, in this. And then finally, and, and, and in no way am I ranking it here, but on the issue of policy, uh, because there are a lot of questions for uh, both Senator Harris and Vice President Mike Pence as it relates uh, to the economy, to social issues, and of course, uh, to the coronavirus and how they do that. Coming up, we check in with Congressman Ken Buck. He's going to tell us all about the big tech hearings on Capitol Hill. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. So much news today. So much, so much news today. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm out in Salt Lake for covering tomorrow's VP debate. We'll have continuing coverage cross-platform on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, led, of course, by our very own David Weston. Uh, I want to take it to Capitol Hill because Ben Brody and David McLaughlin just doing stellar reporting uh, on on the big tech probes that are coming uh, from the House of Representatives. Uh, the House Antitrust Subcommittee, Democrat-controlled, released a 449-page report with regards to what to do about Amazon, Google, the big tech companies, and really the most draconian recommendation is for Congress to consider legislation that would either prevent tech companies from owning different lines of businesses, which ultimately could lead to the breakup of the companies, or to impose certain organizational structures on the companies. It's stocks, the, the tech stocks were down upon the release of this report. All right, so I'm really, really grateful to have Congressman Ken Buck uh, on the program uh, tonight because uh, Congressman Ken Buck is the top Republican on the House Antitrust Subcommittee, and he released another report. and And the reason this Republican, this Colorado Republicans report, is so interesting is because it shows where there are areas of common ground and what the Democrats want and what the Republicans want, and where there are non-starters. So let's take it there, Congressman Buck. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for your time. Where are the areas of common ground in terms of where Republicans and Democrats want to rein in big tech? Well, I, I can only speak for this Republican, but I think uh, it's clear. Um, and, and in fact, uh, in my conversations with other Republicans and Democrats, it's clear that the, uh, the, the two enforcement agencies, the Federal Trade Commission and the Antitrust Division at the Department of Justice, uh, have less resources now than they did a decade ago. And it's important for us to make sure that we bolster the resources at these two agencies as we uh, start talking about the different tools, the different legislative uh, remedies that, that may be available. So that's one thing that I think um, almost everybody agrees on. All right. What, what else? I mean, in terms of because uh, because obviously Republicans and Democrats think something has to be done about big tech, but there's some key differences. That's one area where you agree. But there's but there's some other areas. What else do we know? Well, I think there's agreement on uh, data portability, for example, when you have uh, data that is being accumulated at, at Google or uh, Facebook or Twitter. Um, I think that is the individual's data, and, and you should be able to move to a competitor 
um, and that would uh, help free up and, and create some competition in the marketplace. So I think data portability is one area where uh, there's a lot of overlap between the, the majority report and um, my views and, and those of, of other Republicans. I also think that uh, the idea that uh, the uh, a mer- there have been 750, 750 approximately 750 mergers or acquisitions in the big tech area in the last decade, uh, and many of those uh, appear to be anti-competitive. Uh, Facebook's acquisition of uh, WhatsApp and and um, uh, other acquisitions by these four or five tech giants, and so. Uh, the, the idea that uh, a company that has 90% uh, or more um, dominance in the marketplace uh, can acquire up-and-coming competitors uh, is anti-competitive, and, and we should be taking a look at that. The majority report talked about a threshold of 25%. I think the threshold has to be much higher in order to flip the burden of proof from the government to prove that something is anti-competitive to the, the tech companies having to prove that they uh, are are not creating an anti-competitive atmosphere. And so I, I think shifting that burden of proof um, at a much higher threshold uh, may make sense, and it's something that we will discuss and hopefully take some expert testimony in. I mean, I just find this fascinating. Congressman Ken Buck's with us. He's a Republican from Colorado. I find this fascinating because these companies were once the scrappy upstarts, right? I mean, you got Mark Zuckerberg in a dorm room back at Harvard with the with the social network and everything and the Facebook or whatever. He had no idea this was going to grow up into such a massive, massive, multi-billion dollar global company where he's you know, buying Instagram and whatnot. And of course, now we've got all the implications of freedom of speech, of the back channels of commerce. They're trying to get into other other areas of commerce. And you raise a really good point. And this is just, I mean, regardless, folks, of where you are on this issue, for it or against it, it's just, this is the point what Congressman Ken Buck is talking about, which is how do you create entrepreneurship in this country without having it run amok. So when you talk about the burden uh, on the government to make sure, really what you're saying is you want to make sure that the next Mark Zuckerberg still has a place to create in America. Or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Um, and and, that, and it's, it's really one of the ironies because all five of these companies that we're looking at are companies that took advantage of the capitalist system of uh, they, they, they were able to acquire um, investors and, and resources to build on a great idea. And now what they're using their dominance to do is to, to crush small companies from doing exactly what they were able to do. Wow. And, and it is, it's anti-competitive. In some cases, it's just outright theft. They have, they have stolen ideas from other companies and use those ideas uh, to put the other companies out of business. And it's, it's just remarkable. I mean, they forgot where they came from. You know, maybe go back to the dorm room. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like you never should forget where you come from. And I, I don't say it with humor. I say it with conviction. All right, let's talk about this Section 230 repeal. President Trump uh, tweeting out repeal Section 230. It was one of the many tweets that he tweeted out today. Where are you on Section 230 and where are we in that process? Yeah, so Section 230 um, basically gives the tech companies immunity within a certain area to uh, regulate speech. And the tech companies have become such an important part of Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, such an important part of uh, Americans expressing their ideas that it's become really dangerous in a political system to have uh, these these dominant players uh, regulating speech. And so I think that uh, it's really important that we look at Section 230. I think uh, there are amendments that uh, Republicans are certainly uh, unified on bringing, and, and I have signed on to a bill to that effect. And I, I hope that uh, Democrats will be able to join us on that. Uh, speech is fundamental. And in, in the past, we've always had, uh, you know, 100 newspapers, 1,000 newspapers out there. And, and then mm. we started in with radio and TV. Um, now we have to make sure that these tech giants don't uh, regulate speech and, and inhibit speech. More speech, the better. And that, that's one of the real foundations of our country. Uh, we got two minutes left, and I got to ask you this because uh, I was speaking to it the other week with Senator Marsha Blackburn, who does a lot of work on these issues over in the Senate, Republican from Tennessee. You know, we're talking about domestic companies, but then you get into TikTok, 
you get into what's going on in China. I mean, how do we keep uh, foreign adversaries, for lack of a better term, uh, from, from, you know, stealing our intellectual property, but also creating their own uh, companies that they don't have to be held to the same regulations and standards uh, as America? Well, for one thing, if China doesn't allow uh, Google or other companies to compete in China, then we shouldn't allow uh, Chinese companies to compete in, in uh, America. Uh, it has to be free trade, but it has to be fair. And, and it's something that we need to take a hard look at. But secondly, the way we stay ahead in the world is to innovate. And we can't have these tech giants crushing innovation. We won't stay ahead if we have that. And so I, I think that the answer is to move forward with uh, these re- restrictions on some of these giants and uh, to make sure that the next generation of great ideas is, is emerging in our marketplace. Congressman Kembuck, really appreciate the time uh, on, on such a busy day for you uh, and, and, and really appreciate you uh, uh, calling in uh, to Bloomberg Radio for this. That's Congressman Kembuck. He is a Republican from Colorado uh, and releasing really what has been a driving, driving story today uh, for Silicon Valley, which is you've got this, this report out from David Cicilline on the House Antitrust uh, Subcommittee, uh, essentially calling to break up big tech. And you've got Congressman Ken Buck saying, well, here's where we agree. Here's where we can do work on. What I'm struck by is that changes are coming uh, for big tech. And you just heard it there from, from Congressman Buck. They do agree on some, there is some middle ground uh, and that's going to be the driving, driving issue. This, of course, is big tech as it's been widely reported, widely reported, folks, uh, has been boosting up their lobbying. Red headline on the terminal, a House panel proposed a series of sweeping antitrust reforms to curb the power of U.S. technology giants. More coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. There it is. Eddie Van Halen. Passed away today. Wow. Can't believe it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the uh, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. Radio. Van Halen passed away. Joe Crowley's with us, former New York congressman, Democratic caucus chair, Boy Matheson, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah and opinion editor now at the Deseret News. Joe, I mean, yeah. Van Halen. Yeah. yeah, my high school years, my, my high school going into college years, Van Halen. <laughs> I mean, what's your it's, memory? Uh, Give us a memory, Joe. Something you can uh, say on broadcast. Don't get me in trouble, <laughs> Joe. I'm trying to stay out of trouble lately. Go ahead. <laughs> what I tell you. It I, always I, finds I, I me. Love, right, Barada? It lo- always finds me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love their early albums, you know, the early, late 70s, early 80s, you know, and, uh, uh, the, the first uh, Van Halen uh, album, uh, and Van Halen, I should say, and uh, Running With The Devil was a huge hit for me. Um, you know, I, I was always intrigued by the David Lee Roth and, uh, you know, the split and the, the, the disagreements I had and stuff. But they, the band was always vibrant, always stayed alive, and Eddie Van Halen was sort of an incredible guitar player, just uh, off the charts in terms of what he was able to do. And um, I could never imitate or come remotely near it, and I just always admired him. Boyd, you got any Van Halen memories? <laughs> uh, no real memories other than uh, you, you talk about someone who had mad skills. You, you think of the hours and hours and hours that put you in a position to be able to do what he did with a guitar. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good example for everybody in terms of what paying the price looks like. Everybody always thinks of him just on stage, you know, all the big moments, all of those things. Uh, but his craft was perfected far away from the stage, far away from the spotlight, uh, as is true with most great artists and great talents uh, and people who leave an impact on the world. Uh, it's the stuff he did away, the hard work, the heavy lifting uh, that we, I think we all need a little bit more of. All right. Absolutely. I agree. I was well said. That was well said. It's time I'm now really for well what said. I agree. <laughs> it, I, I, it's time now for what's on the panel's radar. Joe, what's on your radar? Well, one thing I will tell you is uh, that the debate tomorrow night will not be a sheet show. 
And also that... <laughs> didn't I um, just say, didn't I literally just say, don't get me in trouble? And what does he do in the next breath, ladies cheap. and gentlemen? In the cheap. next breath, ladies and gentlemen. Christine Baradas fielding emails back in D.C., you know, typing away on the terminal. Here we go. Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. But what I will say is that what I'm really looking at, what's on my radar, is what effect will the president's decision now not have on the presidential election? Really, what will happen to the to the down ticket on the ballot? Uh, mm. What will happen to Republican senators uh, and Republican uh, congressmen? They they can blame Pelosi, and now they can't. What 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 do they do now? And I think that to see what happens in some of those tough races, it's interesting to watch. Okay, I, I think that's so spot on because, you know, I'm looking at this too. I mean, and, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, you try to look at the, the chess match and the marathon and, and everything for, for Pence, for Harris, they're two respective leaders in their own right. And obviously you can't talk about a 2024 field uh, uh, it, uh, unless you're talking about Pence and Harris. You can't. And so I think, I think both of you have, have alluded to this and it's, 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 a, it's, it's definitely uh, a, a, a coloring the dynamics of, of the vice presidential debate. Totally spot on. Hey, Boyd, before I ask you what's on your radar, how's Senator Lee doing? Uh, he's doing well. He's uh, he has been. Exp- we've been, of course, texting. That's uh, his best yeah. mode, uh, and uh, he is uh, experiencing all you know the, the traditional symptoms of the virus. Um, and the one thing that's interesting is he he just noted how this is not a linear uh, experience where normally you have something you get sick, you get sicker, and then you get better, and you get better. Uh, but it kind of comes in waves, uh, so that's kind of an interesting uh, thing. But he's he's doing well and uh, working his way forward. All right, good, good, because we're all thinking of them, and, and we want everyone to get better. What's uh, what's on your radar, Boyd? So uh, obviously, uh, looking at debate, uh, obviously it's right here in our uh, our own backyard, yeah. and uh, so I have been uh, talking about the fact that uh, both the candidates and both the parties uh, ought to just pause for a second in all of this and just uh, take a look around them while they're here in the state of Utah uh, to a lot of things that are going right that could be helpful uh, not just here in the in the West but throughout the country. Uh, and that is that Utah has a, a strong free market economy. Uh, we have low taxes and a light tut regulatory system that enables businesses to start entrepreneurially to grow. We've got an expanding tech sector uh, as people flee California and come here to Utah. We have a Silicon Slopes that's thriving. Uh, so we have a great free market economy going. And this is important. It's beautiful. And I got to interrupt you. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Truly. It's my second <laughs> time here. And it's gorgeous. I, I mean that. It's gorgeous. Go ahead. It is, and the, and the other component to it, the uh, the flip side to that is the strong institutions of civil society. So we have great families, great communities. Uh, we have volunteer organizations, religious groups, obviously, uh, and uh, and businesses that are actually engaged in giving back to their communities. Uh, all outside of of big government, uh, these are all things that that happen in this really interesting laboratory of democracy. Uh, when the pioneers got here uh, 170 years ago, they, you know, they said this would be crossroads to the West, uh, and it's really become more than that. Uh, we have great international business, a new international airport that you just flew into, uh, and so there are a lot of great things happening here uh, that are a good model uh, for the country. And so I think uh, both candidates and both parties should look at what are the principles and what are the policies that are allowing that kind of thriving, lowest unemployment in the country, and most important. Someone born in poverty or who falls into poverty in Utah has a better chance of not just getting out of poverty, but getting into the middle class than almost anywhere else in the world. And that's because of those two dynamics, that we take care of each other. So there's that strong infrastructure, that safety net. Uh, and then we have a great uh, market that's creating opportunities and jobs for everyone to pursue their version of the American dream. So people ought to look around. The uh, Utah is crossroads to the West, to be sure. Uh, but it is positioned probably better than anywhere in the world right now to be crossroads to the world for the future. And I, I got to say, it's a, it's a gorgeous city. It's incredibly clean, too. I mean, it's 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 really, really, really scenic. Uh, okay, what's on my radar? The debate, obviously, and not just the plexiglass that Harris and Biden are fighting over and whether or not the Commission on Presidential Debates is going to have a plexiglass barrier, which Harris wants and Pence doesn't, on stage at Kingsbury Hall. They've moved them from 9 feet to 12 feet. I mean, it's the level of uh, everyone wants everyone to be safe. That's all I'll say. Uh, and I should note, Joe, uh, that Barada put in our show chat 
if you're going to be no better person to get you in trouble than Joe Crowley. Thanks, Barada. So I guess, I guess, I guess I'm off the hook, sound on. Who knows? Um, and, and I will note. Joe, Joe, do you make house calls? And I also want to say, <laughs> well, these days, uh, we all, I also want to say. Uh, I can help you, Boyd. <laughs> All I right. want to say Deal. a shout-out to Done. Jake Sherman and to Anna Palmer. They announced today that they're leaving at the end of oh, the year yeah. Politico playbook. They're just too inc- – I came up with them. I mean, they're just so incredibly hardworking reporters. They really are a great example for young reporters starting yep. out to uh, to do – okay, they're not going – they're going to start something. I don't want to give them like a, you know, yep. an obit. Yep. I mean, they then they're with it till the end of the year. But Anna and Jake, a shout-out to them or a hat tip to use Mike Allen, my friend Mike Allen's thing, a hat tip for Jake and Anna. All right, Boyd, Joe, thank you. I'm in Salt Lake City. Thank you. Boyd, I will see you tomorrow. And uh, thanks, everybody. And uh, stay well. Be safe. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1 Van Halen. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.